Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Our guest this week is Lisa Magnuson of Topline Sales. Lisa spent years in sales executive positions for Fortune 50 companies. We're speaking about her latest book, The Top Sales Leader Playbook, How to Win 5X Deals Repeatedly. We'll discuss the greatest misconception about sales leaders, the one thing that moves the needle for top-performing sales teams, and how you build a culture around big deals that are five times your average sale. You're going to learn a ton with Lisa Magnuson. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. Can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? Yes. As a matter of fact, I don't know that anybody knows what I'm going to share right now, except for my family. And that so is... I don't want you to get in tax trouble. I mean, so just, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> well, when I run into a really kind of hard problem, you know, at work or, or even personal... I just start vacuuming. Really? <laughs> yeah, and that solves the problem most of the time. <laughs> so, so your so your home, your office, everything is immaculate when you're under the most stress. <laughs> exactly. It's not, it's not a dust, not a not a, a dust ball anywhere in the world. As <laughs> as long as you're under a lot of stress. Now, if it's if there aren't stressful times, then people have to watch out. Yeah, exactly. It's just disaster area. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? That that um that could come in handy. You should come visit us because I think we have the opposite <laughs> problem here. <laughs> so. Well, you know, there's when you're vacuuming, you're sort of sucking up all those problems and it kind of frees you up to like solve the problem that you really need to solve. Well, you know what? I, I think that's a new mindset that I need to adopt, perhaps. And <laughs> my wife will thank you for that. <laughs> So, so we wanted to talk about the um, your latest book, the Top Sales Leader Playbook, and what I want to uh, tap into is what's the greatest misconception that people have about sales leaders. You know, when I set out to write this book, I actually set out to write a different book. It was going to be a, a, a leadership playbook, but it was going to be general. And I decided to, to interview 41 sales VPs, live interviews, took me most of 2018 to do that. And there was a couple of things that were really surprising. And one of them is that actually the sales leader, whether it's a VP of sales or CEO running sales, the sales leader can be the biggest point of failure, the single point of failure when it comes to big deals. And so you might say, wow, that is a little startling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so why is that? Well, that was the second finding. The second finding it was that sales leaders have twice as many challenges as they do priorities. So when I asked them about their priorities, you would be able to list all their priorities. They're very predictable. But their challenges were, in some cases, predictable, some cases not. But there was twice as many of those. So what really the reason why that sales leader is a single point of failure is because he or she is just bogged down with these priorities and the challenges and they they, they don't have any bandwidth left. Yeah. And and what are, what are some of those biggest challenges that you found were there were there common themes as you were interviewing people that were coming up? 
Yeah, you know, a lot of them were things you would expect, you know, people issues. How do you hire the best people? How do you retain the best people? How do you, you know, motivate the best people? So a lot of them were people issues. That what was really just surprising was how many there were. Because when you think of, you know, the job of a senior leader, whether it's a VP of sales or a CEO running sales, you know, they're going to have customer challenges, they're going to have people challenges, they're going to have, you know, market challenges, and they just go on and on. And, and, and they're just inundated with these with these challenges. Yeah. And, and so, so as you're talking to these people, were you, were you starting to hear things that everything sounded the same? Or as you were interviewing people, were you getting different information where conversation two contradicted conversation one or a little bit of both? A little bit of both. And, you know, one of the things that that happened is about halfway through the interviews, I decided to do sort of an initial findings, like what have I learned so far? And I was really paying attention to having a diverse, you know, set of industries, a diverse set of size of sales organization. But all of a sudden, I realized that all my interviews or most all of them were male. And so I'm like, okay, I don't have any male-female diversity. And so I really corrected that with the, with the, with the second set. Um, and so at the end of the day, I got a great sampling. I got, you know, I got different size sales organizations. I got lots of different industries. I got male-female. And there was definite themes that came out. And, and probably the, the, the third theme that makes so much sense is these sales leaders, the, the successful ones know that if their salespeople sell within a process that was based on, you know, best practices or when things work best, they're going to be more successful. You know, you're going to have a common terminology, everyone's kind of doing, you know, the right thing, that kind of thing. Yet very few of them have a sales leader playbook to go from. As a matter of fact, it was less than I think 8%. Interesting. However, interesting, right? So like 94 Five or maybe it was like 93% of them believe that if they did have that, they would be more successful. And so you put all that together, the fact that they have all these challenges, the fact that they can be a single point of failure with these big deals because they don't have the bandwidth and they don't have a playbook. It's, it's, that's, why I wrote the, that's why I wrote the book. And that's why I wrote the book specifically focus on big deals versus general. Yep. Well, and, and what I think is great is, and it's, it's, it makes so much sense as you say it, which is, okay, so, gee, the sales leader knows that their team needs to have a playbook and a plan to execute in order to be successful. Yes. And then I'm sure in your conversation, you say, so do you have a playbook and a, and a plan? Yes. And I thought, darn it, no, but my team does. I don't, <laughs> I, I, my team's following one. I just don't have one. I'm kind of going where the wind blows. Yes. Big difference. Big difference. And, and, and the problem gets exasperated the, the larger the sales leadership team. You know, so, so, you know, maybe that can work if you're one or two or three. You know, you've got a VP and a couple directors or whatever, some, some sales managers. But once you start to get big, then it's everyone's just doing their own thing or doing nothing. Yeah. Well, and what I think is fascinating is that in the book, the way you've got it laid out is you've got these four different sections and then you have different plays. And what I, what I found interesting as I was going through it is you, you're, covering, um, you're covering an individual play. And then in that section, you talk about, okay, here's what, here's what we found in the interviews. And here's, 
here's the play, which is like the, the first one is inspire and activate account teams. And it's for this play, here are the attributes of it. Here's how you construct this play. Here's how you deploy it. You know, here are the yellow and red flag alerts that, that you know you're going astray. And then here are the remedies for those. And then you have the different models where you actually have examples of here's what the, here's what that letter might look like or an email might, might look like. And here's who's on the team and for that play. And so you're really giving people, it's not just lip service to a play um, or a playbook, but you're actually giving them all the fundamentals that say, here's exactly how to execute this play. And you got 16 of them in the book. So yeah. How yeah. did you come up with that structure? You know, the VP interviews really inform that structure because I asked them, you know, what they would need to see in a play. And, and you mentioned the, the yellow and red flags and those remedies. Those came from one of my VP interviews. And, and it, was a, it was a sales VP for a client of mine. I wasn't doing anything for them right then, but I had done work for them in the past. And she said, she goes, you need to include what happens. How do we know when things aren't working, when they're going off the rails and what do we need to do to get it back? And I'm like, that's genius. That wasn't in there before. Those yellow red flags and remedies weren't in there till she said that. Yeah. And so, so they really informed how I constructed the plays and, and the sections in the book. Which, which is great. And then what I love is that in each section, you have this sideline coach piece yeah. That is some, you know, some expert or, you know, in, in you know, some industry leader and their expert opinion on that play and how it affects their business and how it can affect other people. They really add a lot of color to each play because each play is kind of structured the same way. Lots of it's an easy book to read. Lots of bullet points, lots of examples. You know, it's not a lot of sentences. But that sideline coach adds the color, you know, it's it, their yeah. piece is usually, you know, three or four paragraphs, maybe a few more, but they sort of add that, that perspective and that, that color. And in some cases they add to what I have. In some cases they reinforce what I, what I had, but they, but they add that, that color. And, you know, I love the fact that the sideline coaches came from all over the world. We've got, I've got, you know, Singapore, I've got Sweden, I've got the UK, I've got really an international perspective. Yeah. Well, and it's great because like I said, there are 16 different plays. Now, as, as you've gotten the book out to people, what are some of the plays that you've gotten the most feedback on the things that, that people really notice the most and say, Oh, that's the play I keep going to. It's like, it's like any sports team has, (laughs) a certain, you know, a handful of plays that are their favorite plays that they go to all the time. What are, give me, give me an example of some of the ones that, that you've, that you've heard from people who are most impactful. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And actually I, I chose to include like a story at the beginning of the playbook. Um, and, and the story is, is not just based on one client, but kind of a combination of clients and and really, I was working with this with this combination of clients, uh, and we were doing a comprehensive assessment. You know, it would be like assessing, you know, in assessing their organization inside of all the plays. And 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 the team, the leadership team, was getting overwhelmed. They're you know they started to feel like, oh my gosh, how could we do all of this and really get our whole engine up and running? And 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 what we kind of came to was okay what's one thing is you know where do we start what would just be one thing and what we really figured out for them is the one thing is war rooms 
That is the one thing. So, so if, if you put that stake in the ground about war rooms, and when I say war rooms, I mean account strategy meetings, I call them war rooms, but I mean account strategy meetings. If you put that stake in the ground and you say, we're going to do these all year, we're going to do them 12 months in a row. We're not, it's, it's not going to be a, you know, a flavor of the month. It's going to be, we're going to choose the accounts that we think have the highest likelihood of success. They could be current customers or new customers. And we are going to put an account team together and we are going to meet on these accounts every month, all year. And then, you know, as you get going, some need to meet a little more, some a little less, but you're doing war rooms every month. Because if you commit to war rooms, then a lot of other stuff happens. You're doing pre-call planning for big calls. You're identifying executive sponsors that you need. You're coaching the account quarterback and the team. You know, a lot of other stuff that that I, I, I you know, that a lot of the other plays can be taken care of through the commitment to war room. So I think that's the most, the most impactful. So when we think about this war room, because right now, as you're saying this, people are probably thinking, Ooh, good idea. War room. So what would the, what would the play be? What would the playbook say for, okay, gee, we're going to create a war room and we're going to, we're going to do strategic account reviews. Now you and I both know that most of the organizations, if you say, okay, we're going to do a strategic account review the leader walks in and goes, so uh, what's going on in this deal? Which could all be found in their CRM. Yeah. And, and everyone sits there and listens to that person describe their deals. Well, I haven't heard back. And, you know, there's, all, there's a whole formula that people go through that is really ineffective. Yeah. So what, from a playbook standpoint, how should people approach these war rooms or strategic account reviews? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a couple of things in the book that, that answer that question. I mean, one is, you know, how do you set the expectations? And there's actually a memo, you know, a sample memo in the book, an email that you would set expectations about what a war room is, what, you know, why do you, why are we doing it? Why are we committing it to it? There's a sample agenda for a war room, super productive one. What does that look like? And then you've got those yellow and red flags, which kind of point out, like you said, Ian, you know, what if, the sales leader comes in and just hijacks the meeting, you know, well, that's a yellow flag. (laughs) Or what if the account quarterback is a lone wolf and doesn't, doesn't sell as a team. You know, that's a, that's a yellow flag that, that can turn into a red flag. So all of that stuff is called out. There's examples. I mean, the other thing is the content of the war room, the strategy Inside one of the plays is what I is like 11 advances. And those advances are the strategy work that you would do in the war room. And every single advance has an example and a, and a model, you know, a, you know, how would you do this and what does it look like? So literally they could get the book and have everything they need to implement war rooms. That's great. So, so Lisa, give me an example of what, what are, one or two of the advances for, for a worm. Cause I, I want to make it so tangible. So as people are, as people are listening, they're saying, Oh yeah, that's a good question. That's something to think about. Yeah. Well, they're going to sound familiar to to your audience because, but familiar, but not necessarily things that people do every day. So the advances are things like scoring the account, okay. you know, things like, is this account worth our time? Do we have a likelihood of winning? Then, then there's an advance around research. 
what kind of research, how much research, what do we do with the research? Then there's an advance around doing a SWOT, but a SWOT, not just strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, but a SWOT look from the customer's perspective and the team's perspective, internal, external kind of SWOT. Then there's relationship mapping. So it's like, how do you map those, those relationships? What are the relationships that you need? You know, there's, there's a t- statistic that keeps growing about the number of stakeholders involved in any, in any enterprise deal. It used to be like around six. Now I think it's around 11. I mean, you know, the number just keeps growing, which is exactly what I see it with my practical work. Um, you know, so what are those relationships and what, and what are you going to do? Who owns those and what are you going to do with them? So those, those are all advanced. Those are all different advances. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. There, there are certain questions that for, for my clients, we often ask like, so, what happens if the client doesn't solve this problem? Yeah. And, and, tell, and tell us what that is in the client's words. And so one of, one, of my, one of my little comments to people is, look, thinking is bad for business. And what I mean by that is <laughs> if, if we ask that question and say, well, what happens in the client's words if they don't solve this? If the answer is, well, I think it yeah. means that you didn't have the conversation. You didn't actually ask. You don't actually know. You're just guessing. And we want to find that out. But having that discipline around what are the specific questions that you need to ask instead of, so, uh, hey, how's this account going? Yeah. It's just, it's funny because I remember early on when I started this business um, and it's, you know, over, over a decade ago now, early on, um, I remember sitting in a, in a meeting and the sales leader was going, doing their account review and said, well, can you sit in? I said, sure. So after the meeting, I said, well, so here are all the questions that you asked. Let me ask you, what percentage of those questions could have been answered just by looking at your CRM? And there was this dead silence. He goes, well, I don't know. What do you think? I said, I think all of them. <laughs> so, so what you didn't ask your team is what would make it so the client would pick us and what would make it so the client would select somebody else? Yes. What would make, what would turn this into a bad deal for us? What would turn this into a bad deal for them? Those sorts of questions where you actually put your finger on the pulse of, okay, do we have a good fit or don't we? Yeah, that, that, that's genius. And, and that's the, those are the kinds of conversations that should be happening in the war room, like the war room, you've put the stake in the ground around these, you know, war rooms or account strategy sessions that that's the level of quality that you're looking for. Yes. And so, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I love the fact that you said in the customer's words, because it's like, it's not, we're not guessing, we're not assuming, we're not, it's like, what does the customer have to say about their commitment to solve this problem? We all have lots of problems. That does not mean we are committed to solve them. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been working with a team and someone says, well, but you know, this is like a $2 million a year problem. How do they not buy this software? And I said, well, here's what you need to understand. Is it possible that they have a $20 million problem? Is it possible that they have something that could be the difference between them being in business or not in business next month that's a higher priority? And more importantly, it's a $2 million problem. But if you're not talking to the person who owns that $2 million, yeah, yeah. Then they don't care. It could be somebody who, yeah, they have a $2 million problem, but they're retiring next month, so they don't care. Yeah, that's so, and, and so many of those points 
start with the scoring. The scoring is is so much more in depth than just how much revenue is this worth. It's worth yeah. two million. It's it's is the customer committed to solve that problem? Is the team willing to stay together through whatever the time it takes? I mean, in my world, when I work with clients on War Room Services, my average is like nine months. But I've been involved with accounts that took two years. You know, it can. This is a long term effort. Rarely is it short term. So is that team committed to stay together? It's not just the client. It's, yeah. it's the internal account team too. And, and both of those things have to be a yes. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because as you said, it makes me think of the fact that in many businesses, they have the perception of, well, our sales cycle is 18 months and no one ever asks, well, why is our sales cycle 18 months? Are there things that we are doing that cause it to be an 18 month cycle or is it just, does it take that long? For example, if you're selling a big deal into the federal government, you're going to have a long sales cycle because their whole procurement process involves identifying something and then they have to get it budgeted and then it's going to get budgeted in the next year. So even if you have something really compelling, it's often difficult for anything sizable in the federal government to happen very quickly. But in the commercial space, I think what oftentimes happens is people lose sight of describing and having a meeting of the minds around what problem they're trying to solve and what happens if they don't solve it. And instead they sell to the features and capabilities. Yeah. And what happens is the person on the other side is saying, well, but I don't think there's anything so compelling that we have to upset the apple cart and fight to get, you know, budget from someplace else. So we'll just wait. Right. I mean, it's like do do nothing is is your biggest competitor sometimes. Yeah. And 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 I find that the account team gets it right. If you have a dedicated account team, and that might be three people, it might be thirteen people. What you know, it's 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 not one um, or two. It's more than that. But if you have this account team, they get it right because they talk through and they debate and they have these kinds of conversations about all of this stuff. And they figure out who their competition is. Is their competition? I'm in a in a deal right now with a client, and and you know the competition is it, our biggest competition is status quo. Yeah. Absolutely, the, the customer is committed to make a decision, but the biggest competitor is status quo. Yeah, and it usually is. I mean, it's it's funny because it's one of the things that I do in in my workshops is I'll say so write write down who your top one or two competitors are. And people will write down stuff and I'll say, you know, how many of you, um, how many of you did not write down status quo? Yeah. And it's usually most of the room. It's like, you're thinking about some other company. The reality is that in most cases, the biggest competitor is do nothing. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes do nothing and status quo are two different things. And so yeah. accountants need to think about that too, you know, do nothing. That's a great point. Yeah. So it's, it's, but the, I, over all the years, the account team, a good account team gets it right. And they only have the opportunity to get it right through war rooms, through account strategy meetings where they're setting aside the time they're committing, they're having these discussions. And, and, and if they do that there, I call them five X deals, like about five times their average deal size. They're going to get some of those, maybe a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. And and I like how you've got it broken down. So the books in kind of these four sections where you've got um, sales leadership, sales methodology, sales execution, and then sales culture. Yeah. So that way you're hitting each of those areas with, you know, about four different ones since there's 16 in the book. Um, 
is there is there one particular play in the playbook that that you that you see kind of um, resonates with the most number of people? That's a great question too. You know, so so definitely, you know, for the leadership team, it's the war rooms. But if if you really take it to the sales people and really the whole thing, I think it's pre-call planning. Okay. And you know, if you have an organization that has a discipline around pre-call planning, and you know, there's variations of pre-call planning. So if you're dealing with a big 5X deal, you're going to pull the whole account team together and you're going to spend, you know, 30, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, you know, it could be longer, you know, because it's complicated. You're planning for this big executive call or this big presentation or whatever, but you can do pre-call planning in 15 minutes if you're a salesperson. And, um, you know, one of the things I've got a two page pre-call planning guide on my website that people can download for free. And I, it's, it's, I update it regularly. I mean, it just committing to going through a thought process to plan for the call is a game changer. And, and I've seen all kinds of statistics from 20% increase in, 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 in close ratios to, to much more than that. And I've also seen that in my practical experience. Because if you plan, if you put yourself in the customer's shoes, what do they want to get out of this meeting? What's going to make it a good meeting for them? Then you think about the next steps. Well, are the next steps, you know, next steps that they're going to take or you're going to take? Are they shared? You know, you got to think yep. about that, you know, and, and then what can go wrong? And not just like anything in the world that can go wrong. What can go wrong with this call, with this, with this customer based on your experience? And then what can you do to avoid that? You know, to yeah. have that not go wrong. And there's tons of stuff. Like I'll, if I do training, I'll, I'll put this to the, to the group. It's like, what are all the things that either have gone wrong or could go wrong? They come up with a list. I go, I guarantee you there's something you can do about every single thing on the list. And then we figure what that thing is out, you know, what, what those things are for their, their world. But, you know, the, the pre and then agenda, you know, it's like, okay, what the agenda is the last piece because you only can build an agenda if you know all that other stuff, Yep. you know, so now your agenda comprehends that strategic thought process. That's fantastic. And we'll, and we'll include in the show notes, the, um, the link to your site to make sure yeah. that, that people can get that, uh, that pre, that pre-call planning guide. Yeah. Um, so the book is the top sales leader playbook. How to win, what is it? How to win 5X. 5X deals repeatedly, repeatedly. not just once, repeatedly. We want to win them all the time. <laughs> so, so Lisa, what's what's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, I just, I, my website is like the single best because I, I just redid it. It's got everything. It's fresh. www.toplinesales.com. And they can download the pre-call plan there for free. They also can download the infographic uh, of, of the learnings from talking to those 41 sales VPs. They can click through to order the book. There's oh, there's a special bonus. Um, if they order the book and they, they have their like Amazon receipt number, they can download that full organizational assessment um, right. for, for free. So as part of buying the book. So there's just, there's a lot there. That's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. We'll include all this in the show notes. And um, I think people get a lot out of the book. So thanks very much. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your reviews and comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and for reviewing Same Side Selling on Amazon also. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap 
of the key information you can use and apply to your business right away. First, leaders know their top performers follow a process, but many leaders don't have a process of their own for how they manage and mentor their team members. Second, war rooms are the single greatest tool to move the needle for strategic growth. For your war rooms, remember to set expectations up front, provide an agenda, and define metrics to rate the accounts. And then pre-call planning is something that top performers do consistently, and make sure that your team's following that too. Be sure to pick up a copy of Lisa's book. It has some great actionable content that's worth reading across 16 strategic plays of a playbook across four distinct areas. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer. Bye now.